Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court's bombshell announcement about the question of Trump's disqualification from the Colorado ballot. And I interview former CNN host Brian Stelter about the future of Fox News, Tucker Carlson, and whether covering the right has ever impacted his own safety. I'm Brian Tyler Cohen, and you're listening to No Lie. All right, this week we've got major news out of the U.S. Supreme Court. They have granted the petition to review the Colorado Supreme Court's decision disqualifying Trump from the ballot based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And we've spoken about this case a lot, obviously. Uh, The implications of Donald Trump being permanently taken off the ballot aren't escaping anyone. But here's the point I think is worth making. And this is for Democrats, by the way, just as much as it's for Republicans. Would this be one of, if not the biggest Supreme Court ruling of our lifetime, if they uphold the lower court's ruling that Donald Trump isn't eligible to serve as president? Of course. I don't doubt that for a second. And obviously the implications for the election would be massive. It would mean in an instant that Trump's political career is over. And in an era where one party's identity is wholly predicated on its fealty to that person, the significance of that move obviously can't be overstated. But here's what's more important. The implications of the Supreme Court ignoring the plain text of the Constitution in deference to Donald Trump. If the Supreme Court reverses the lower court's ruling and allows Donald Trump to remain on the ballot, it is effectively saying that Donald Trump is above the Constitution. Remember, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is clear. It says that no one who's engaged in or aided those who've engaged in insurrection are eligible to serve in office. Trump was found to have engaged in insurrection. A trial court in California found as much after hearing testimony and reviewing the evidence. That was Judge Carter. A trial court also found as much in Colorado. That was Judge Wallace. The Colorado Supreme Court agreed with the lower court in Colorado, also finding that he engaged in insurrection. And grand juries found that he engaged in insurrection in Washington, D.C., by way of the probable cause standard, which is why that grand jury voted out the indictment in that case. And the grand jury in Georgia essentially found the same thing by way of the racketeering charge, which is why that indictment was voted out. So the facts of this case are beyond dispute. Donald Trump engaged in insurrection on January 6, 2021. And the Constitution's provision is beyond dispute as well. There's no ambiguity in the language barring an officer of the United States who's engaged in insurrection from serving again. And I know that Republicans are trying to parse words and pretend that somehow the president of the United States isn't an officer of the United States, which is absurd, or that the authors of the 14th Amendment went through all the trouble of barring insurrectionists from running for office and yet left a glaring loophole only for the most powerful office in the nation, both of which are laughable on their faces. So again, the facts are beyond dispute. All that remains at this point is whether the Supreme Court will do its job by upholding the Constitution and its provisions. And it should go without saying, but just because the consequences of upholding the Constitution will be profound, is not license not to uphold the Constitution. Will it be catastrophic? Of course it will be. But again, to my whole point, so will ignoring the Constitution just because it'll be impactful. It places one man above the Constitution. It will make him a dictator. It will mean he isn't constrained by the same laws and rules as every other human being in this country. I tend to think that's a hell of a lot more profound because it's an abandonment of the most sacred foundational values, that no one is above the law, that we don't have a king, that we don't have a dictator. So I will not be swayed into thinking that the Supreme Court should be too scared to act just because the consequences of a Trump disqualification will be too great. Donald Trump should have considered that when he incited insurrection. He made that choice himself on January 6, 2021. 
Section 3 of the 14th Amendment had already been written 150 years earlier. This wasn't some surprise for Donald Trump. No one sprung a 150-year-old amendment on him. So no, it's not the Supreme Court doing this to Trump. It's not the Democrats doing this to Trump. It is no one other than Donald Trump himself that is responsible for him being held to account for his own actions. I get that Trump and his mouthpieces want nothing more than to blame everybody else, but Trump has agency. And in the same way he chose to summon a mob to the storm of the Capitol on January 6th, he also chose the consequences that come with it. In the meantime, I want to be clear that for us, for those of us who care about democracy, nothing changes regardless of how the Supreme Court rules. Whether he's disqualified or not, we continue to organize and stay engaged and vote. Because whether he's on the ballot or not, his influence will be. And there are plenty of lunatics who would love nothing more than to pick up the mantle and carry out the MAGA agenda and deny the election results and remove us from NATO and kowtow to the Russians and usher in far-right rule for the United States. I promise you, they've all got the playbook. So we fight equally as hard regardless of what happens because at the end of the day, we can't rely on the courts or the state parties or the lawyers. It is our responsibility to protect our democracy. We did it in 2020, we did it again in 2022, and this year, 2024, is absolutely no different. Next up is my interview with Brian Stelter. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now we've got the author of the new best-selling book, Network of Lies, the epic saga of Fox News, Donald Trump, and the battle for American democracy. Brian Stelter, thanks so much for taking the time. Good to be here. Thank you. So let's, uh, let's dive into the to the fox of it all here. Do you think that the $787 million lawsuit will have the effect of deterring Fox News from lying in the future? Or do you think that these massive sums of money are just, you know, the, the, the cost of doing business? You called it a lying tax in the book. Do you, <laughs> so is this not just built in? Uh, fellow Brian, that's the, that's the hard question. You know, uh, how much of this actually changes Fox's behavior? And I think the answer is that around the edges, it already has changed Fox's behavior. You know, around the edges, for example, they don't have Donald Trump call in on the phone anymore. They usually don't interview him live anymore. They tape the interviews. And that's literally because they're trying to limit their legal exposure and their legal liability. They can edit out any defamatory claims before air. So there are those examples of how these lawsuits have had an impact uh, on the editorial, as well as, of course, the huge financial impact. And I think, you know, honestly, the financial impact was was the most severe. Uh, but going forward, I think we should be realistic about the fact that Fox's audience wants oftentimes to be deceived, wants to be um, comforted by in, you know, by by um a fantasy that Fox tells that that's very far from reality. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the lying tax. I love that phrase. I, I saw Caroline Orbueno, the disinformation researcher, uh, use that phrase right when the Dominion settlement with Fox was announced. She said, look, Fox just paid a lying tax. They're going to probably have to pay more of those lying taxes when Smartmatic and other cases go around. And it's just the cost of doing business. Well, you know, another casualty of that $787 million Dominion lawsuit was Tucker's show on Fox. But 
If the lying tax was built in, then why would Fox also let go of its biggest star? Like they've already paid the price, literally and figuratively, for Tucker's lie. So why not at least keep him and take advantage of his ratings? <laughs> It, it did all happen in that very short time period in April that makes up the core of my book. But I really don't believe Tucker Carlson's firing was directly related to Dominion. Uh, he has said that. He has tried to claim that. But I've interviewed a lot of people around this story, and I just don't think it adds up. Uh, I think Tucker Carlson was on the way out anyway. But what, what, what Dominion did do is Dominion dredged up why he was intolerable. Dominion forced Fox to look in the face look Carlson in the face and really see who he was. A guy who was sending emails internally, calling female executives the C word, who was, you know, who was acting in ways that, that no boss would tolerate uh, with any employee. He acted like he was untouchable. He acted like he was invincible. And so what the Dominion litigation did, because Dominion was able to read all the emails and read all the text messages, was it dredged up that intolerability and, and made the Fox board confront it. Uh, now, you know, why not keep him anyway? Why not you know, keep on uh, tolerating his intolerability? Well, I think Lachlan Murdoch and the Fox board, including Paul Ryan, they made a calculation that if they could bring Fox just a little bit, uh, they could tone it down a little bit. If they could, if they could lower the temperature just a little bit on Fox, they would benefit economically and reputationally. And honestly, Brian, I think it's kind of worked. I think there's less scrutiny now of what the Fox primetime stars do. There's a little bit less of that, you know, controversy stoking that happens on social media, even though the network is still unhinged every night. Yeah. But to that point, I mean, I, I, I do think that the Jesse Waters of the network kind of aren't aren't viewed with the same I guess gravitas that Tucker was. I think like he's kind of viewed a little bit as a joke. And I feel like Hannity was never viewed so insidiously as Tucker because Tucker was younger and uh, and he just he took himself more seriously. And so, you know, we say that now then again, but five years down the road, we might be looking at <laughs> Jesse Waters as like the next, uh, you know, the, the, the second coming of one of these awful people in history. So you're making a critical point. Carlson was uniquely conspiratorial uniquely poisonous uh, within the Fox primetime lineup and within Fox overall. And I think there's a, a great, really vivid example that we all remember of this. When Carlson came out and lied about January 6th and tried to portray it as a false flag operation, tried to call it a Fed surrection, got a hold of those surveillance tapes and tried to spin a story about how it actually was more like a tourist visit than, 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 than a terror attack. That, that, that bullshit from his uh, show did not air on the rest of Fox. Like yeah. other Fox shows didn't pick up on his so-called scoops. So it was too much even for his colleagues. And I think when we look back, that was the tell that Carlson had gone too far, even for his Fox colleagues and, and managers. Yeah. Uh, Brian, do you think that the Murdochs and even the Fox hosts to some degree actually believed that they could help Donald Trump overturn the election? Or were they just going through the motions because they had to toe the Trump line? I think, unfortunately, the audience was in charge more than the Murdochs. You know, what we see in the emails and the text messages that Dominion obtained is that the Murdochs were, um, they, they showed a shocking lack of leadership. They privately were disturbed by Trump's behavior, particularly Rupert Murdoch, uh, horrified by Trump's conduct, wanted Trump to stop, wanted Trump out of office. After January 6th, Rupert Murdoch said, we're going to make Trump a non-person. We're pivoting away from Trump. You know, th this is the, the patriarch of the company recognizing that the, the, the country has been under attack 
and, and we need to move away from this threat. And yet here we are, you know, three years later, and uh, Fox is, is very much in Trump's corner, not nearly as comfortably, like maybe it's right. a little bit awkward, but they're still in his corner. Yeah. Uh, so I think what that shows is that Rupert Murdoch and his son, Lachlan, the board, they, they're protecting their profits. They are protecting what they view as this profit engine for the company. And if that means holding their nose, they'll do it. Well, you know, we've seen, to your point, the, and you explained this in the book as well, we've seen the internal tech showing uh, that the big wigs obviously know the truth about Donald Trump's lies regarding the 2020 election. I, I know this might come across as like a ridiculous question, but knowing that those people know the truth, do you think there's any regret about the harm they've caused to democracy? or? is the attention and the ratings and the money and the partisan allegiance just just too strong of a pull for them to care it is a, it is a, a valuable question because we shouldn't lose our humanity and our morality as we study this political world right it's tempting sometimes to try to come across as like super savvy and act as if you know the, these people have no values or morals and it's all about the money and, and sure to some degree there there's 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 truth to that um but there's also this truth. There are people at Fox who still feel shame, who still react to public pressure, who still care about what is written about them, who still seek advertising dollars from sponsors who are not all in on, on crazy lies, who don't live on planet Trump, but actually live on planet Earth. Right. So that's like that's the tension in this conversation. Right, Brian, that there are. Even though if you're the average Fox anchor, average Fox host, you know, in Florida, living the Palm Beach lifestyle, totally um, uh, walled off from any liberal or progressive criticism. Like, you know, a lot of these hosts, they're not going to go to the grocery store and run into some critic. They're not going to get they're not going to feel awkward at dinner. Like they're only they're They are really surrounded, you know, by that MAGA world that, that already agrees with them and protects them and supports them. But with that being said. These people, they still do, uh, in some of them, in some cases, feel shame, uh, feel embarrassment, right? Uh, they, they don't like what's written about them if it's, if it's critical. Do you, you see what I'm saying? There is still some of that. And, and, but how, how much do you think that that impacts like, the conversation moving forward, I guess? Well, you know, that, that is where I know the these audience, are, I, by the way, I know this is like an impossible question for, well, it's, for you it's, to answer. It's where the audience being in charge is, is really the, the, the troubling dynamic here. Well, to that, to that point then, is there, is there, if, if the audience wants a certain thing and they have an insatiable appetite for right. that thing, which is that Donald Trump is always right. The, the evil communist Marxist Democrats are always wrong. They're always out to get <laughs> Trump. Donald Trump is always the victim. Right. Is there no end in sight, I guess? Well, when it comes to Fox, I think about it this way. I think about someone like Rupert Murdoch, Lachlan Murdoch, Sean Hannity. Uh, we think they're driving the car, but they're actually the passengers. And I think it's important to recognize that. So when the car runs off the road, when the car drives into a ditch, when the car crashes, the people that we think are driving the car actually are not. And, and, and yeah. so, to, 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 you know, that, that's my framework for thinking about 2024, that there's nobody actually driving the car. Yeah. Um, what I'd like to think, though, and maybe this is going to be too optimistic, is that uh, the voters, you know, the viewers uh, do do have a credible amount of sway here. The viewers of Fox, they're engaged right now in a GOP primary. And the viewers of Fox who are going to go and vote in Iowa, New Hampshire, and other states, they don't all back Trump. We know most of them do. But there is very much a contest still underway within the GOP. And I know that, you know, the, the conventional wisdom right now as we're heading to 2024 is that Trump's going to be the nominee. But there's such an interesting divide within the party. 
And, you know, in some ways, you know, Fox both embodies and also suffers from and benefits from all of the above, all of those yeah. things from that divide. In other words, it's not a done deal. The story is not baked yet. Cake's not baked yet. You know, the media landscape is changing right now. The fact that I have a show is a testament to that. Where does Fox fit into the future of cable news and how is the 2020 election saga impacted where they stand? Well, Fox is dominant on cable, but it's nowhere online. It struggles online. Uh, its streaming service has uh, struggled to gain subscribers over the last five years. It is very much a business model for a, a past generation, you know, for 60, 70, 80 year olds who uh, are addicted to Fox, who view it not just as a channel, but as a lifestyle brand, as an identity, as a way of life. And uh, that audience skews so old. But I want to add a caveat to the conversation about the demos. There's a new 60-year-old born every day, right? So even though people will look at Fox and say, well, Fox doesn't matter to the youth, to younger people. They're not, they're not reaching 30 or 40-year-olds. Okay, that's, that's mostly true, but they are still defining what the GOP is, defining what the party cares about. And there are people aging into the Fox audience every day. So even if they can never really make a make a dent online, even if they can never really matter that much on YouTube, they're still influencing the public conversation and GOP politics by virtue of the fact that they have that addicted elderly audience on cable. Well, then what about Tucker? Do you think that his new network is going to be a successful venture? I think he has loyal fans who are willing to pay, but not nearly as many as he had on Fox. Uh, you know, the, the, the reality is we've seen this before with Glenn Beck and others, right. they are able to make a go of it, but they're never able to be as influential and powerful as they were on television because this beast that Rupert Murdoch and Roger Ailes built, it really is bigger than any individual star. It's bigger than the sum of the parts. Let's fast forward to right now. There always seems to be some major disinformation campaign that Republicans are pushing to hurt Democrats. It was Hillary's emails. It was Benghazi. Um, it was the 2020 election being rigged against Donald Trump. Now we're in the midst of the Biden impeachment effort. Do you think that this is going to be the next big disinformation campaign for Fox and the GOP? And do you think that Democrats are doing enough to bat back the disinformation campaign now before it really sticks? I think it was Brian Butler recently wrote a piece about how Republicans have adapted, conservatives have adapted to this information war space better than Democrats. And it, and it rang true to me. It made a lot of sense to me that the um, the way folks communicate, and let's talk about you know younger people, less likely to watch Fox, more likely to watch your show. The way that we, if I can say I'm 38, the way that younger folks communicate, uh, you know, not just, not, I don't want to minimize and say through memes or through videos. Yeah. But there's actually something very real to that and very um, substantive about that. The way that we communicate is wholly different than older generations. Uh, the way that we can share links, share information, uh, be in, in constant chats about it, the way that that shapes our view of the world is different. And um, I think it's an interesting question. You know, are, have Demo are Democrats adapting to that well enough? I don't know is, is, is the short answer. I'm sure some are and some are not. Uh, John Fetterman's trying his, you know, one way, others are trying other ways, right? But, you know, trying to figure out ways to communicate to younger audiences. Um, when I when I look at this in terms of the disinformation campaigns that you mentioned, they are spread uh, on every platform, right? Uh, yeah. These 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 attempts to, the way that I view the Biden impeachment process is try to smear up tr uh, Biden uh, the same way that the, the Trump has been, right? To try to dirty up Biden with right. all the allegations. So that, every, so that everybody looks dirty. Everybody looks terrible. Just give up. Just tune out. Don't don't vote. Don't care. 
uh, or just stay with your side, right? And stay with your side and don't think too hard about it, right? Because uh, whatever they say about Trump, it's true for Biden also. That's clearly the GOP message. Uh, you know, we lived this in the schoolyard decades ago. I'm rubber, you're glue. Anything you say about me bounces back and sticks to you. It's, it's you know, it's the oldest trick in the book. And I think most people probably see that for what it is, including a lot of Republicans. They know what it is. It's an attempt to create a false equivalence. Yeah. They're in on it. They're in on the joke. And, uh, you know, there was a, I think it was Troy Nels. There was a congressman walking yeah. over to the house uh, and somebody, a reporter says, what do you want out of this? And he says, Trump 2024, right? right? That's, a, you know, to the extent that this is really obvious to people, that's a good thing. Uh, it's why media literacy is so important, right? Give people the skills to see how these tricks are played. Give people the skills to see how this information is spread. And by the way, that's a recurring phenomenon on the right, because in the same way that Troy Nels came out and said that that the whole point of this thing not was not to like was not to have accountability for Joe Biden. It was to it was to prop up Donald Trump. Uh, Kevin McCarthy came out 10 years ago almost. And when he was asked about the point of the Benghazi Select Committee, he said that it was to hurt Hillary Clinton's poll numbers. So they, they've been kind of telling on themselves only because they're not smart enough to do it subtly enough for so long. <laughs> but that doesn't change the fact that for most people it works anyway. Um, but but to the Hillary's emails thing, Democrats were largely silent as the whole uh, Hillary email thing was happening because I think we probably believe that it was so ridiculous on its face that we didn't want to validate it by even responding to it. But mm. the practical effect of that is that um, it created a vacuum that Republicans then filled with their disinformation and it became a huge story. So that strategy obviously failed. What do you think is the most effective way to shut down these Fox News Republican disinformation campaigns like the emerging Biden impeachment one? Well, I think number one, it's, you know, it's, it's worth recognizing the limits of any individual or any media company's power. I, the reason I start with that point is um, sometimes there's an attitude, I think, from from partisans of all stripes that like if we just ma wave a magic wand, uh, make the media do something differently, then uh, then everybody will be informed correctly and the outcome will be as desired. Right. And the reality is it's just not it's not the way the world works, not possible. Um, I've come to really reckon with how limited the news media's powers are. When I say powers, you know, I mean that in a rhetorical right. sense. Like, I think about 2016, and I was at CNN at the time covering the Trump campaign, covering the Clinton campaign. I'm really proud of the fact-checking that was done, the scrutiny that was applied to Trump. Uh, and yet, we, we know that that media scrutiny sometimes helped drive votes to Trump, right? Because he was canny and and cynical enough to to turn the media's scrutiny into one of his superpowers. So I just always start by saying, let's recognize the limits of the power here. But that said, that said, I think to let people be in on it, to show them how it works, to deconstruct how these uh, disinvo ops work is really powerful uh, because then they can they can do it themselves, see it with their own eyes, recognize when they're being manipulated, recognize when they're being deceived. Most people, Republicans, Democrats, aliens, they, they don't want to be deceived. They don't want to be fooled. People don't want to feel like they're marks or suckers. They want to know what's true in the world, not what's false. And, you know, that gives the high ground, the, the moral ground, that gives the high ground to the, the truth tellers and the, the reality-based people <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a world where the Elon Musks, you know, uh, will, will use their platforms to spread hate and disinformation. Right. Let's, let's hold on to the, the high ground and focus on what is actually true. And, you know, look, I've, I've even seen some figures at Fox point out a little bit once in a while on the air 
that there seems to be nothing to these Biden claims that, uh, you know, we're not voting for Hunter Biden. Uh, you know, the person running is Joe Biden. And so every so often the truth breaks through even on Fox. Yeah. Okay. So this is a question that's been nagging at me for years now, but do you think the straight news anchors at Fox, like the, the, the Brett bears insofar as one believes he is a straight news anchor, do you think that people like that validate the real draw for Fox, which are the opinion hosts by giving the network plausible deniability that they're a real news network? Yeah, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, I refer to it in Network of Lies. I think I quote a source saying it's like the Murdochs play a trip, a double or a triple game because they benefit from the propagandists and how profitable the propaganda is. But they have these news anchors and these, this newsroom uh, that, that provides credibility and cover for it. By the way, that newsroom is shrinking. You know, Fox does have journalists as journalists in the Middle East, for example. But the news operation part's been shrinking over the years while the propaganda operation is expanding. So I think about it as Fox being many things within one body, all uncomfortably living together. And uh, yes, there, there are many examples at this point to say that Fox uses its, its journalists, its news shows as cover to say, well, look over here, don't look over there. You know, yeah. uh, we said this, but we also said that. Right. That's what was so destabilizing about 2020. Fox reported the truth, said what was true, and then started to shout the lies about voter fraud. Right. So both, they were all happening within the same place. Brian, what was the most interesting part of the book to write? To write? Um, that's a great question. No one's asked me that during this, uh, this you know, book tour thing. Um, I, think, I think what I enjoyed writing, there were two parts I enjoyed writing the most. One was the day-by-day the -day TikTok of November 2020. Uh, election night turned into election week. Then remember Saturday morning when Biden was projected president-elect, people took to the streets in New York and D.C. and L.A. On Fox, though, Trump lost, which means Fox lost, the host yeah. lost. And thus, Marie Bartiromo started to create this alternative reality where maybe he won. Maybe he was robbed. Maybe he could still win. Maybe he could get to the Supreme Court. Maybe he can have a second term. So Fox created this, this universe, this you know, alternative universe. So the TikTok of how that happened day by day was really fun to write. And then it was really interesting to revisit the 2022 midterms because the so-called red wave that didn't break, the red wave that didn't happen, was another reminder to me that what these propagandists do is ultimately a disservice to their audience. When they lied about voter fraud in 2020, when they promised a red tsunami that didn't come in 2022, they are misinforming and disinforming their viewers and actually hurting them. Yeah. And look, Brian, you've, you've been in this, you know, in this world for a while. I was at CNN for almost a decade. I think a lot about whether I'm helping a little bit or am I doing harm? <laughs> it's even true. The first day I covered a natural disaster for the New York Times, I was in Joplin covering a tornado and I was driving toward the town that had been decimated. And I thought to myself, the first rule of journalism in a day like this is just don't do any harm. Yeah. The, I'm about to interview people who are having the worst day of their lives. Don't make their lives any worse, right? Don't do harm. I think, you know, I don't want to be pompous about it. Certainly in, in political journalism, the stakes might not be that high every day. The stakes are different at least. And, and when it comes to commentary and all of that, you know, it's a, it's a rough and tumble game. But we shouldn't be doing harm. We shouldn't be doing a disservice to our audience. And, you know, the parts of the book I, I liked writing the most, they were about the recognition that what Fox does harms the people they're trying to help, disrespects the people they claim to respect. Yeah, I think that's that's such a great point. And that's that's a point I try to bring up in my videos too. It's like 
Look, the, the last thing that you, at a bare minimum, you want the people who you've entrusted to represent you to not, to not treat you with such oozing contempt. And I, uh, yes. to your exact point, nobody wants to be lied to. Nobody wants to be manipulated, but that's exactly what's happening. And, and it's only happening to the people who've imbued these Fox hosts and these Republicans with so much trust only to then turn around and leave them so ill-informed to your exact point. It is in some ways a very, very twisted relationship. And I don't know how to really untwist it for the loyalists, for the junkies, for the addicts. Yeah. Um, I, I do believe there's lots of Republicans, lots of moderates, lots of folks who even watch Fox, maybe even for entertainment, who aren't really uh, true believers, who who know what it really is. Like, you know, I, I think we we shouldn't, you know, it's important not to, to paint with too broad a brush. There yeah. are There are lots and lots of persuadable people out there. But among that core constituency, that MAGA base that has decided that all real news is fake and all fake news is real and Trump is the only truth and Fox is the only truth. Yeah, I, I think they're not I think they're not gettable anymore. Yeah. And uh, we, we should focus our efforts, um, you know, me as a, a journalist, you know, you as a, as a commentator, as a host on reaching everybody else who, who is open to new information and, and new facts. Yeah, perfectly put. I, I think that's definitely the best use of our time. Brian, the book was was extremely enjoyable, really easy to read. For anybody watching, definitely recommend that you grab it. It is Network of Lies, the Epic Saga of Fox News, Donald Trump, and the Battle for American Democracy. Brian Seltzer, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks again to Brian. That's it for this episode. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm looking forward to getting it done in a big way this year. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, produced by Sam Graber, music by Wellesley, interviews captured and edited for YouTube and Facebook by Nicholas Nicotera, and recorded in Los Angeles, California. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast app. Feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review, and check out briantylercohen.com for links to all of my other channels.